Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode two. 185. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's our first episode of 2020, of a new new decade. We're taking a break from our series on heresy because we both felt moved. Yeah, we both um, watched a really good movie on Netflix, Two Popes, and we wanted to talk about that. Yeah. So, it was going to be a biopic about Bill and I, <laughs> if we were Catholic, but... Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it's uh, it is a fictitious. I mean, it's 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 fiction about their meeting. I, whether I don't think that happened. Uh, they did meet once after the election, right? Right. But even I think the all right. Well, let's put let's set up the concept. Let's set up what it is. So it's the movie takes starts with the death of John Paul II. Yeah, and it's the conclave in which um, Rassiner is nominated Benedict the Sixteenth. Is that what he was? The best thing is. He in the opening scene, Jorge Bergalo. Bergalo. Jorge Bergalo comes in whistling. He's like, he's whistling. What's that lovely hymn you're whistling? Abba, Abba, <laughs> dancing queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, no, uh, and um, we do know that Rassiner won, um, and um, uh, Jorge Bergalo. I, th- I I feel like we're pronouncing that wrong, but at any rate, uh, be- is comes in second. Okay. So what's the fiction is that there's this uh, uh, Cardinal Bergen, <laughs> Cardinal Jorge Bergalo. Uh, Jorge Berg. There's two G's. Yeah. Yeah, Bergalo. All right. Anyway, he wants to resign. And that, that's not, we're not sure that that's the case. But anyway, he wants to retire and just be a parish priest again. So there's this, uh, There he, he uh, sends a telegram to the Vatican. It's been ignored. So he decides to go ahead and book a plane and go. And the message is crossed. The Pope Benedict wants him to come. And so that's that's kind of the fictitious setup there. Yeah. And so it's interesting because Benedict, because he did, you know, resign the papacy and he was in bad health. I mean, these are reasons. Right. He was in bad health, but he also, well, I, my insider, I don't know what your <clears throat> your Vatican insider is, but I have a, I have a one step removed Vatican insider was that uh, he just was overwhelmed with the banking crisis. Yeah. That he was out, of, that, that, that he was being outmaneuvered by the Korea or whoever was behind the Vatican banking crisis, which was a huge one, by the way, if you don't remember that. And that that was part of what he just realized that, he, you know, he's an academic guy. He's not, he's not really a, um, you know, a manager. And person. he asked John Paul to resign multiple times. He wanted to go back to Bavaria. I mean, had Benedict, yeah. had Ratzinger, Ratzinger wanted to quit being, you know, head Jim, of the Congregation of Faith and Order many times. Right. <clears throat> and he not had to stay in that job. He probably would have been was already one of the most significant theologians of the late 20th century and early 20th, but like he would have been more prominent. Even. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, maybe I'm anticipating some of our conclusions here, but we're, we're actually a fan of both of these. Guys. Oh no. It, it's, yeah, you I mean, said something last year in the podcast. I remember you said when in history we've had three good popes, like it's hard to, it's hard to 
Right. We had no. a good run. I mean, no, yeah. I mean, you'd have to maybe the reforming popes uh, during the first investiture conflict when the Clooney was sending popes up there. But that way, you know, folks, if you don't know, we're talking a thousand years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's just an amazing. I amazing. love when Benedict says, there's precedent for you think, Holy Father, because 800 years ago somebody did it, people will accept it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I like that you're doing him as an Italian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he is. He's Italian descent, but he's living in Argentina. His, his ancestors moved to Argentina. So, yeah. So there's a sense where it's really a – it's very – I mean, it's – it's a, of course, there's two wonderful actors. I mean, I could watch Anthony Hopkins, you know, cook a bowl of soup and be captivated. And I, As long as it's not in silence of the lamps. <laughs> no, <right. laughs> <laughs> a nice Chianti. <laughs> yes. Oh, my. <laughs> Yeah, he is an interesting. I mean, Anthony Hopkins went. There was a period of time, like when a couple of years, he played the Apostle Paul in a TV movie. He played played Adolf Hitler and C.S. Lewis. I mean, and then Hannibal Lecter. The man has a. He does have a. Uh, a he could birth. do the whole Eucharist himself. <laughs> <laughs> what do they say? Christ, priest, and victim. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pretty pretty remarkable. And then what's I forget the actor's name who well, played. We I should give him credit. He's, he was he was the sparrow. He's a sparrow <clears throat> in Game of Thrones, but he's a wonderful character actor. He he really I mean, I mean he has more to work with, I guess, as as Francis, but he he really in many ways was a wonderful center of the of the movie. So uh, and and he captured what Jonathan we, Price. Yeah, Jonathan Price. He captured what we all at least who we think Francis is. And and you know, there's plenty of there's plenty of people who know him who collaborate that. Yeah. Yeah. And and, you know, it's interesting because I feel like part of the thing. So we're doing this long series on heresy. Right. right. And here are two people that really disagree on a lot. Fundam- they, fun- fundamentally within within the framework. Right. Yeah. And yet they're brothers. And I mean, this. Yeah. And, and they need each other. And, and there's this there. I mean, there's this moment in the film where, you know, Francis is saying why he cannot become pope. And because he made impossible decisions when Argentina was in a military coup to protect his priest. Right. Maybe he made the wrong decisions, but he. Right. It was the time when, you know, 30 to 40,000 people disappeared, including friends of his. Yeah. And he says, this is why it can't be me. And it's great. It Benedict says, you, you think your sins disqualify you? We're all sinners. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's, you need to start uh, receiving some of the mercy you preach about. Yeah. It, <laughs> it was, was just beautiful. Powerful. Film. Yeah. Yeah. I think the scene where they hear each other's confession, which is part of that scene, was a, was a really remarkable. And then, and then what Francis says to Benedict is, truth is necessary, but without love is unbearable. From your book. Caritas and Veritas. Yeah, which is an amazing book. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was his first book after he became Pope, Truth and Love. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, well, one of the things, again, it's, I've, I always tell my, used to tell my students this, but the, yeah, the Pope does have a confessor. Sometimes, yeah, particularly Protestants don't fully understand uh, the, well, a lot of Catholics don't understand the interior life of, of what's going on in the Vatican, not that I do, but, but the scene, I love the scene when uh, uh, Benedict confesses and goes, uh, I know I've committed vino scenes, but I do not remember. And he's uh, like, "You can do that? <laughs> I didn't know you can. Do, you're allowed to say that." <laughs> at this age, I can't remember. <laughs> Which is beautiful. It was a beautiful. It really was a beautiful kind of uh, of, of scene. Uh, you know, I think. But two, uh, he said this pod, Jared Jones from Florida from Facebook Live says this podcast should be renamed the two popes, which I don't know if this is a compliment or kind of a dig from Jared, but it could be, it could, it could be, be actually either. both. I mean, I think that's what's beautiful about him. Oh, he likes our accents. Yeah. 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 All right. Very nice. But yeah. And good, good day to you in Florida. You know, 
Uh, hope everything is safe and dry down there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although I played golf yesterday. You know what? Give me perspective. Thank God for climate change. The planet might be ruined, but you get to golf in January. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I, well, yeah. I used to golf in January when I lived in Texas, but that was a different, there you go. different reason. Yeah. No, it is messing up the wine growing regions. Yeah. So that's another thing, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's going to kill millions of poor people, but it's really messing up the wine region as well. So there we go. Just keep up. What? Okay. So we don't drink wine. We play golf. We have to drink beer. I mean, this, you, yeah, know, you yeah. can't make an album without breaking a few eggs. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But getting back to the Pope thing, I think, yeah, that the, the tenderness between him, the, the acting is amazing. It's won a number of awards. And uh, But I think getting back to what you said earlier, that it, it does, again, in a fictitious account, because the real relationship between them may be a little more more strained. Um, and, of course, First Things has to defend Benedict because the, the, the movie was somewhat inadequate or inaccurate about who exactly dealt with the uh, dealt with the pedophile priest. I mean, I think it was Benedict eventually did deal with him. And so there's a sense where it's acting as if it's I think it portrays Benedict as not so much being um, I guess he's he's complacent and distracted. So he doesn't need he's overwhelmed. And, you know, it's yeah. interesting because I think one of the beautiful things, which is he says, you know, God, his confession is God who I should have loved above all. And I found books and it cut me off from the world yeah. that I was told to love. And yeah. and it's interesting because you could argue Francis was being so loving. It was trying to protect his priests and yeah, and they felt betrayed, and and it, it, here are these two people that like. And I guess anybody, if if you have any sense of accomplishment in life, has to make decisions that are challenging. Like, and and you know, and it, it plays into your family story and who you are and your gifts and limitations. And yeah. these guys can actually this portrayal of both of them being able to hear each other's confession because they made such different choices in different lives. Well, I think also the way of the cross is not a strategy. I mean, yeah. I think sometimes we treat it as a strategy. I mean, we, I got involved a little bit in a friend of the show's post about, um, got into the whole, should the church be pacifist or should it be activist or the, its relationship with power? And for me, uh, that final scene in the mission, uh, or penultimate scene in the mission, it also to makes a larger statement. If you remember the mission, um, you know, the Jeremy Irons, they chose the way of peace and and they're going to march into violence with the Eucharist and hope that these good Catholics will stand down when they see the body of, and blood of Christ being marched. Um, actually, that didn't work. The guns c- killed them just whether or not they had to host or not. And then you have the Robert De Niro, who is more kind of like the, the at that point in the backdrop of, uh, you know, liberation theology, took up the arms and they died too. So there's a sense where that both of them, I think both of them were martyrs uh, and neither of their convictions were able to defeat, you know, evil human power. And, and I think that sometimes that we, um, you know, when we bring our particular ideology, or our particular need to win or be right into the Christian conversation, that we've already, we've already tainted it. In other yeah, words. no, and this is Niebuhr's great application of justification by faith to to social ethics, right? He's like, what it means to be justified by faith for social ethics is you act in faith. You're really acting in good faith. And yet also you, you can't know. Like, so all you can do is try to act in good faith and know that the only justification for whatever happens is, is faith. Right. But also the realization that 
um, our best intentions um, do not prevent unintended consequences. Yeah. And I think that's it was fairly powerful because both of them, um, their fallibility was both of them trying to be true, if you would, to themselves. And, uh, and, and I think, you know, yeah, Rassinger, the intellect, and uh, and Francis, the, the love of the heart. And, and I think... It, and isn't most of the dialogue in the film actually extracted from their own writings yeah i think there is i mean it does reflect who they are and and their concerns and and you know to me again whether or not this tension can continue to hold i mean there's all kinds of fraying on the extremes in the catholic church i'm reading um Halleck's memoir right now and he talks about you know the first time he encountered before the before the uh, 68 the summer of 68 and when he was able to travel some um that his first response or first interaction with post-Vatican II uh, Dutch priests where they were kind of anti, even anti the faith and everything. And he was so taken, so taken by that. Um, um, and so you see often what happens when, um, I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that, that there's been a lot of misunderstanding of the implications of Vatican II. Maybe misunderstandings, but the growing pains of what the implications of Vatican II uh, And part are of the beauty were, of Vatican yeah. II, right, is you could read it lots of ways. Yeah. <laughs> you can be Rassiner or you can be Hans Kuhn. Yeah. 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 And and I think that's... And, you know, sometimes I think what I'm envious when I see our Catholic brothers and sisters is that it, you can still be in the same house and, and do yeah. this, you know. Uh, uh, I remember uh, having... I have a good friend who's a, who's a sister of St. Joseph. Brilliant. Yeah, those are the Jesuit nuns. And I was meeting with her and she goes, she goes. You sound like a Catholic. I go, yeah, but I would be a bad Catholic. <laughs> yeah, you can't convert and then be a rebel. Bad, bad. bad. And she goes, uh, 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 that's the wrong, wrong show, Jared. Um, but uh, <laughs> Jared and, Jones says, which one of the two popes is John Malkovich? Which uh, I don't know. That's we, the HBO. That'd be a great. That'd be. Uh, that's the. He's John Malkovich plays one of them in the HBO series. Oh, nice. I think all right, he's. I've seen him as a pope somewhere. I don't know. I've never watched the whole show. But my whole point is, and then she she said, "Well, I'm all of us, a lot of us are bad Catholics." I said, "But yeah, it's one thing that you're in. The, you're already on the team. But uh, to uh, when you're when you're saying, well, why do you want to join the Catholic? Well, I like this, but I don't like that. And yeah, yeah that's that doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. So I I just stay being a bad Protestant. <laughs> <laughs> the thing too at the, at the end of the film it's not a spoiler because it's like never, but you know right, who, are you telling me Francis actually becomes Pope no, no. Oh. well yeah now when he says when um, Benedict says Francis uh, he, he says he, God says to build my church he repaired a church <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he even he made mistakes and he says or Francis says he liked to dance. <laughs> Let's like, and he start tangoing. And everybody's looking at these, and it's like, be- it's two guys yeah, dancing. Yeah. It was so beautiful. And it, you you just look and like, and they just go go take him. Don't let him come back. <laughs> <laughs> Abbey Road. He gives the scene. Abbey Road. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, yes, Abbey Road. Abbey Road. <laughs> Well, if you don't, because uh, uh, Benedict had done a, uh, he, a was, he is actually, that was part of historical, very accomplished piano player. Oh, yeah. And he, he did a recording at Abbey Road. Or was that for his narrative? I don't know. Was it a voice recording or did he play his piano? He for, played his piano, I think. Uh, okay. But he was at Abbey Road. And, he, and, he, and, and Francis, Abbey Road? <laughs> Abbey Road? The Beatles. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah. The Beatles. Oh, oh, the Beatles. <laughs> I always like, hey, I opened up Francis. Oh, I hate spe- speaking English. It's so exhausting. And then Francis says, Yes, it's a language. So many exceptions. Yeah, <laughs> right. Even those lines. Like, yeah, we're very- what is Chekhov's rule? Like, if there's a dag, Chekhov's dagger or whatever, if you bring a knife in to the plot, you got to use it. Like, right. there's no extraneous detail. I mean, right. it, yeah. everything is used. Right. 
I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcasts, projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butran, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedi, and Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. I like when. Uh when Benedict says that I, I I speak in Latin when I have when I tell them things I, they don't want to hear. <laughs> and then, and he's, see, he's pulling one over. This is what he does when he's uh, you know trying to trick them because <laughs> <laughs> he says only twenty percent can understand it. <laughs> I love when when Francis is like to may God forgive you for what you've done here. And then his Italian brother says, I let, "Don't forget the poor." Well, that was and that Italian that was that candidate. That's a real historical right. Figure. Yeah, it was it was a he was kind of the. People were hoping for him to get it because they thought he would be a liberalizing force. And and again, I do think John Paul II, one of the most – probably the most important thing John Paul II – well, I, I don't know what the most important thing, but one of the most critical strategic things he did was he appointed lots of third world cardinals. Yeah. And so there's a sense where uh, – and you've – I mean, again, the symbolism of um, – of a Polish pope, uh, now Ratzinger being a German pope, but the Latin American pope—that's that, not accidental. I, I would be—I would be not surprised that the successor to to uh, Francis is not someone from a- Africa or Asia. I think that could be a real possibility, and I think part of that was set up by John Paul II. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's beautiful. Like, uh, and that's, you heard that here on Vatican <laughs> Insider. Vatican, Vatican Insider. <laughs> <laughs> Next, I love you. Like, everything is about as if critique of my papers, even your shoes. You don't like my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that is we find where do, where do we find the Lord then on the journey? Okay, let's go for a walk. Maybe we'll find the Lord on the walk. I'll introduce you to him. <laughs> Hey, this is the Lord. <laughs> you know, one of the things that this is from, uh, I heard this from my insider. This should I love be, this. There should be music going every time I say this. This is like page six. <laughs> but when Francis was elected, uh, he went into the Vatican garage and was walking around with a notebook taking down license plates. <laughs> and he called everyone together, Korea together and said, uh, 
uh, he started reading the cars. And he goes, "We are priests. We don't we don't drive luxury cars." Yeah, and made them sell their cars. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. So why don't you know? I hope he has a food taster. What would you do if you were Pope? What would you do? First off, I wouldn't eat meals by myself. It's not good for you, and it's bad theology. Christ was always inviting people to meals. It's bad. It's not good for you, and it's bad theology. <laughs> he did make the joke about that the Pope used to have a Jesuit taster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I should t- eat a little piece of yours. No, that's my pizza. <laughs> it's a German joke. It doesn't have to be funny. It's that's a German true. joke. <laughs> oh, that's a little joke. It doesn't make sense. And then he's watching the, the dog show with the. Oh, right. He, he gets him. He 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 he's a canine. It solves crimes and gets himself into all kinds of mischief. <laughs> Yeah, of course I did know because I, I'm a, yeah, I'm a soccer soccer fan, so I was thinking, oh, gonna, he's all excited about Argentina against Germany. That's not going to go well for you, Pope Francis. <laughs> it was a great match, by the way. It was a wonderful match. Argentina World Cup. is very violent. It's all part of the game. Oh, it's all just part of the game. Part of the game. I get the excitement. It's part of the game. <laughs> I congratulate you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I like the I like the scene where he, uh, when he's visiting in Rome and he goes he, he goes to watch the, the soccer match in a in a pub and when he hears him disparaging um, Benedict, his heart's really his yeah, heart, his heart's it's his really brother, t- it's a brother, and you know it's it is interesting, yeah, the fact that you know Francis is you know is a I, I mean. Again, people who, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a wacky time, and uh, and what's being brought out of the wings and and right wing circles, I guess it's a corrective because there's certainly wacky stuff in left wing circles too. But this, you know, kind of this some vitriol that I've seen in certain segments against Francis, we are reminded that both of them are are sons of the church that represent living parts of the church. And Orthodox, I mean, this is why Chesterton, Orthodox, yes, you know, yeah. wrote two biographies, Aquinas and and Francis, and Chesterton was like this. This is the Catholic Church. This is why I'm Catholic because it sustains these two saints. Yeah. And there's a beauty that they're both in living orthodoxy. They, they can be so uh, conflicted yes. and yet both be really in the faith together. Yeah. One of my favorite stories of church history is that, you know, with when the mendicant orders was growing, there was a panic in the University of Paris because they didn't want all these friars uh, and all these, uh, you know, or mendicant orders taking over the university. So they had to debate whether or not uh, they uh, should allow them. And I don't know who was on the side against them, but Thomas Aquinas and Bonaventure were on this arguing, arguing for the mendicants to be at the University of Paris. Guess who won that debate? <laughs> like that yeah that's a that's a bad news but you can you imagine you're all excited we're gonna get rid of these we're gonna get rid of these monks once and for all and then you have to go against two of the smartest and most brilliant theologians in the history of the church for the defense (laughs) that was a that was a bad day to be on that side that's that's for sure um if trump if they were trump these are two of the biggest fraudulent catholics ever lived i'm the real defender of the catholic faith we all know that Yeah, of course. I guess that's that. It's still facts and logic still mattered in the 13th yeah, century. Yeah, it yeah. did. It did. Yeah, yeah. Well, at any rate, um, to me, again, you and I talked a little bit about this on the phone. What in a in an age of uh, ever seeming increasing diver- um, not diversity, uh, we and tribalism. The, I feel like tribalism, you, yeah. you can't say like we both have some of the truth and we need each other. That that's. 
you, you, what did you the other day on the phone? You go in the ever decreasing space you and I occupy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe that's although maybe. although in the new year there's a possibility we'll have a new bunker, so we'll have a bigger space to occupy our small space. <laughs> <to> <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that's what really, because the idea of uh, we are better together than apart. I mean, uh, you know, the Methodists are splitting. Uh, we saw the split happening in, you know, the PCUSA, um, the RCA, which we're part of, is heading towards something this summer. Um, I, I can't predict what the what that's supposed uh, is the RCA is heading towards something. That's, well, hey, that's hey, about hey, where it's hey, at. Hey, come to the RCA. You know what? We're heading towards something, yeah, <laughs> which is better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, I have, to, I have to help lead a symposium on this. I'm going, hey, I don't know where uh, we're going. Where we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Abbey Road. <laughs> <laughs> but again, within within the large family of what constitutes orthodoxy. Again, I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, you know, if you renegotiate the foundation, it's no longer the same thing. You know, I think that's the famous debate, uh, whether it's apocryphal or not, Austin Farrar and Whitehead had. And, you know, uh, Farrar said, you know, you may be right and I may be wrong, but we both can't be Christians. So there's certain, if you change the foundation, uh, uh, that's part of why we're interested in the heresy conversation, because what actually, I think our view of heresy probably is not quite as narrow as some of yours is, or some people are. I know from some of the comments I get in my <laughs> and the Zwingli and Talon. The Zwingli and Talon man doesn't enjoy it. It's like definition. when Bill Maher goes, I kid, I kid the Saber. We kid the Zwingli and Talon. We kid them. We love this one. We, we kid them. We love the Zwingli and Talon. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. So even when they're not that lovable, but they, we do love them. But I do think the hope of and the, the model of folks coming together. One of my favorite icons uh, I have on my wall uh, is of Peter and Paul embracing. And it's something that probably never happened in this side of heaven. <laughs> You know, the the conflict, but the icon, and sometimes it's used to symbolize, uh, uh, it's been used to symbolize the East and the West, you know, Orthodox and, and the Roman Church. And certainly in many ways, it's a very lively representation of Protestantism and Catholicism. But this idea that, uh, first of all, it's comforting and discouraging that the two, arguably two of the most important pillars of the early church didn't agree on, on some core things and had conflict. Uh, it's also you know, kind of the hope of of the eschaton that we need to live back into. I mean, I think in terms of we know we're going to be one in heaven. So how do we live back into that in our present time? And I think this movie, to me, was a great encouragement of um, a love, of the centrality of Christ. Um, there's, there's, it's, it, it's a big house. It, there's a lot of people can be yeah. in that room. And we're better when we listen to each other. I mean— I don't want to get rid of, I, you know, I care deeply about the things Benedict stands for as well as Francis. I care deeply about good theological thinking and a preferential concern for the poor and the oppressed. I mean, both those things are, are kind of Jesus things and, and Christian things. So I, 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 that's part of my hope as why I keep doing this work. So I want to close by reading something that Brother Matt Milner commended um, two episodes ago. He was talking about... Oh, the end, yeah. The last paragraph of George Marsden's um, biography. Of, yeah, the biography. The biography of Jonathan Edwards. And he's talking about how Edwards was facing this challenge for traditional theism in this post-Newtonian universe. Like, how can the creator of such an unimaginably vast universe be an intimate communication with creatures infinitely inferior to himself? And he, he, he describes the problem. And he says, yet Edwards' solution, a post-Newtonian statement of classic Augustinian themes, can be breathtaking. God's Trinitarian essence is love. God's purpose in creating a universe in which sin is permitted must be 
to communicate that love to creatures. The highest or most beautiful love is sacrificial love for the undeserving. Those, ultimately the vast majority of humans, who are given eyes to see that ineffable beauty will be enthralled by it. They will see the beauty of a universe in which unsentimental love triumphs over evil. They will not be able to view Christ's love dispassionately, but rather will respond to it with their deepest affections. Truly seeing good, they will have no choice but to love it. Glimpsing such love, they will be drawn away from their preoccupations with the gratifications of their most immediate sensations. They will be drawn from their self-centered universe, seeing the beauty of the redemptive love of Christ as the true center of reality. They will love God and all that he's created. And I'm not like a huge Edwards fan. And yet, like, when, uh, no, but I think that's that's Edwards at his best. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this, and you know, we we need uh, everybody at their best, and also we'd love us all at our worst. Yeah, <laughs> that's and, the challenge. And, and, and you know, I think that one of the final things that you know, both the faith of Benedict and Francis survived totalitarian um, genocide and murder. Yeah, uh, and they came out on the other side, still broken but believing. Yeah, know? may we all do the same. Yep. God bless everybody. Thanks, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.